Welcome to the Calibre podcast, brought to you by the Watches of Switzerland Group. In this episode, we meet with Jessica Diamond, watch and jewellery director at the Sunday Times Style and Times Lux. We explore ladies' watches, their history, trends, and the place in the market today. So if we look back to where this all started, women actually played a pivotal role in the evolution of wristwatches. It was sometime in the late 19th century when women started wearing wristwatches on their wrists, using them as fashion accessories in addition to timekeepers. And this was at a time when pocket watches were the norm and only men carried them round in their jackets. We understand Breguet made the first women's wristwatch in 1810. It was a pocket watch attached to a bracelet customised for Caroline Murat, the Queen of Naples. The brand still have a record of Caroline Murat's watch that was mounted on a bracelet and this order provides physical evidence and therefore is integral to the history of women's wristwatches and gives it real credence to the first women's wristwatch and us understanding where it all started. At the time, wristwatches were only worn by aristocratic women and women of the European royal courts. Patek Philippe, they produced a wristwatch for the Countess of Hungary in 1816, slightly later, and Queen Victoria also owned two Patek Philippe wristwatches. So from her reign from 1837 and the Queen of Naples a few years beforehand, established the start of women's wristwatches as we know them today. By the start of the 1900s, many watch brands took to the idea of creating wristwatches exclusively for women. Gradually, these timepieces were the making their way to mass markets, although they were still seen as a luxury item. So, working through the decades, throughout the 1920s, Art Deco design was incredibly popular. This translated into watchmaking as craftsmen were inspired by the call for beautiful and decorative ladies' watches. Dials were often made to be very small and to allow space for jewels and decorative elements on the watch. The push for creativity continued in the 1930s as the demand for bold and expressive designs remained. However, wartime brought a lull in the horological market and luxury watches were not a necessity. Watchmakers did answer to this and respond to the demand by creating more simple watches that were more suitable for daily wear. And after the war, as the travel, as women travelled both by air and rail, um, timepieces became more common where women needed precise and reliable watches. Moving into the 1960s, creativity in watchmaking made a big comeback. The bold and extravagant fashions of the era translated seamlessly into watchmaking. It allowed the craftsmen to be playful in their designs and create items of jewellery rather than simply practical time-telling devices. And the 1970s uh, brought another great challenge to the horological industry with a well-documented quartz crisis. The powerful career woman became an icon of the 1980s and watch designs were heavily influenced by this figure. And as we move through to the 1990s, many women didn't feel the requirement to wear a wristwatch. Modern technologies meant that they were surrounded by clocks in their cars, on their computers. However, unfortunately for watchmakers, this meant that many reverted back to the luxury mechanical timepieces, as practicality was no longer sole requirement of a wristwatch. Opulence and tradition became the focus. Women's wristwatches are a core component of modern day watch industry and watch brands produce both practical and elaborately decorated timepieces, taking inspiration from all eras of history of women's wristwatches. As many women no longer have a requirement for a traditional wristwatch, instead tending to rely on phones or smartwatches, watches are often purchased as a fashion item. This allows them to be used as a symbol of self-expression in order to share one's personal style. Modern ladies' wristwatches are an excellent daily accessory and are a symbol of how far watch design has come. There's quite a rhetoric to this story of women's watches, but that brings the product legitimately as a considered commodity for women as it does for men. Do you think, reviewing all that history, that there is more of a balance now in terms of women's watches and men's? Definitely. I mean, um, I thought your whole point about self-expression is... Um a major factor in what women want in watches in terms of um, how you choose your style. Um, I suppose it's all to do with aesthetics and how it fits into your own personal wardrobe um, would probably be the most um, important thing I would think for most women these days. Um, and I suppose you'd look at your own style and, and, and 
consider whether you're conservative or classic, maybe you're more sporty, um, more casual, um, maybe you want something that's very pretty with a moon phase, um, maybe you like something more utilitarian. I think that um, the choice out there is so extraordinary and so wide. Um, I would say it's almost impossible not to find a watch that you could fall in love with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you think are, women are looking for in a watch? So I think the first thing is aesthetics. I think there's no denying that we are drawn to things that we simply like the look of. Um, I think functionality is very important. Of course, you may not use your watch predominantly to, to tell the time, um, but there are certainly other functions on watches that are extremely useful. Um, you talked about um, the dual time zone if you're a traveller. Um, I find a day date extremely useful. I never know what the day is. Um, and I think that also a watch should slot into your life really easily. It should be functional, but it shouldn't be high maintenance in any way. Um, and I think this whole idea that quartz actually is really easy, I don't agree. I find the whole idea of having to take my watch somewhere and having the battery changed a pain. I think an automatic watch is, is the perfect, easy accessory. Yeah, it's a really valid point, the automatic versus quartz versus manual wound. Um, one thing we don't see much in watches, women's watches in particular, is we've got very, very, very small percentage of sales in ladies' watches, in manual wound specifically. Mm. Um, automatic um, is, our, from, from a lady's perspective, is our, um, our largest sales. Um, it's 70% of all ladies' sales are on um, on automatic watches, that's in units, is 30% uh, because of the price point. But we still do sell a huge amount of quartz watches, but that, that will cover fashion brands as well. So yes. um, were we not just talking about brands like Rolex that only make automatic watches um, or working through sort of the more horological brands. Um, but the, 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 the ease of an automatic, you feel, is, is something that people, um, it goes, that you, if you're starting with simplicity, uh, aesthetics, the simplicity and the wearability, you think an automatic is, is, is something that's priority for a female Definitely. Client. And I think that if you can take it off on a Friday and the power reserve will get you through the weekend, you know, even better. Um, you might switch your watch over the weekend for something else. But um, I think, yep, definitely, the automatic is, is the way forward. We're all busy enough without having to take our watches to somewhere to have the battery changed. Yeah, well, hopefully it doesn't. Um, we, what we are seeing is our brands are responding to that point really well. So I'm pleased you raised it in that they're enhancing the power reserve in, in, in most watches. So as mm. they work through the collections, new launches, um, this is a focus. So we've seen quite a lot of brands um, either upgrade yeah, I suppose it's an upgrade. It's a natural evolution of the, of the watch itself um, because they're listening to the, to your case in point. You come home from work on a Friday. You might, if you are the are lucky enough to have more than one watch, or you choose to, um, or you want something a very different look over the weekend, and you can put it on a Monday morning, ready for work again, and and off you go. Yeah. Um, most watches that have a four, had a forty hour circa forty hour power reserve not not able to do that so um we've seen it a lot with many of our brands um and it's great actually and i i feel quite strongly about this brands aren't just focusing on the aesthetic of the watch it is also therefore the sort of what's going on inside it because um it means that they're just responding to the needs of the client and i think that's important not just necessarily developing something in the direction that they want the market to go in or what they want to be to what to see mm. so it's a form versus function with a, it sounds like an equal split or a 60 40 on form versus function for you i would say 60 40 i think um the whole issue of kind of brand awareness and brand engagement as well is pretty important for women you know i think it explains probably why cartier and rolex have such a huge um, dominance in the market because they're so brilliant at explaining what their brand is all about and their heritage um, and are you in line with that brand's ideas um, do you um, know who their ambassadors are their heritage um, and I think sustainability as well I think it's something that is going to become increasingly important for women when they choose a watch um, particularly in precious metals and diamonds um, and in the strap material and I think maybe women are, are perhaps more tuned into that because um, we're so aware of it in our jewellery these days. It's something that you can't really avoid in terms of, um, you know, the provenance um, and the ethics and the sustainability of all the materials that are being used.
We are seeing a lot of brands again respond to that. So it started probably with um, things like just the boxes, which might not seem like a big deal, but it set the brands in uh, sort of on that journey, so to speak, um, thinking about the how important it is. Um, and what the clients might want and now we're seeing it more and more so for example the solar beat with Cartier whilst um, you were uh, your, your comment on quartz watches um, it's it's obviously it's it's, it's solar powered but it's a it's an 18 year 16 or 18 year I should I should have remembered that and the strap on that watch is recycled um, materials as well so there's mm. quite a lot about that watch and it's really important that the brands are looking, I mean, it's a concept watch to start with, but it's concept that's available, it's readily available. Some concept watches are unfortunately just either incredibly high price point or we're just they're just um, just testing the waters with it. But we are seeing it more and more. Um, Panerai are very big on uh, sustainability. And I think every brand is tapping into it, but keeping to their, um, design and their own language and their own rhetoric so they're not veering away from it just creating a watch that is sustainable for the sake of it being sustainable so they can jump on that bandwagon i think brands are getting very creative about aligning their own ethos and that really important subject so i think we'll see probably more of that as as time goes on as many of the collections will probably include um, a lot of those a lot of those points yeah i think it's something that they can't ignore particularly with um where gold comes from these days and where diamonds come from. It's kind of key. Yeah, uh, one with, with watches, there's less of a conversation about it, not, not in terms of the relevance. Um, your background lends itself so much, uh, in a, sort of a much stronger capacity to, to talk on this point, but um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, an, an, it's an unsaid conversation and everyone's mm. comfortable with it because the brands themselves can't rely on on anything that doesn't um it, that, that isn't credible or um or or, or 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 work to that so i think as the jewelry um as the jewelry industry has, has spoken much louder on it the voice of that has um, um it covers um w watches as well mm. women's and gents they, it's um it's definitely a direction that everyone's moving into um so Women wearing men's watches. I can spout statistics about uh, what our sales are and yeah. the sales mix. And mm -hmm. that gives us a very good benchmark because if, like, we'll categorize every, every, every piece in terms of its case size, dial color, movement, strap, um, all of the complications under the sun. So we've got a huge amount of data at our fingertips. Um, so we can confidently say that 27% of our sales um, are women's watches. What we don't know are what women that are buying watches are, that are traditionally classed as men's watches. So we know it's a minimum of 27% because, for example, um, a, a professional model from Rolex have previously been marketed or can be considered a male tool watch. Yeah. That doesn't mean that women don't buy them. So whilst we know we've got 27% of our, of, our, of, of our unit sales are women's watches, it's actually a much, much larger percentage. So are you seeing a lot of women wearing larger case sizes, models that were, could traditionally be considered um, purchases for men? I mean, I this is something that's been part of um, the conversation for years and years and years. I mean, when I first became a watch editor 13, 14 years ago, it was all about women wearing bigger case sizes and women, wear, women wearing men's watches. And I just feel like it's perhaps something that is no longer really a trend it just is you know become part of um you know women's style to wear a bigger watch case um and you know the whole idea of women borrowing codes from men's wardrobes is is you know over 100 years old with coco chanel you know dressing women in tweed and designing trousers for them you know and there's the the boyfriend jean and the blazer and the loafer and the brogue it's it's become um, a, almost a staple of women's style, I think, to express themselves. So um, it doesn't surprise me that you say it's 27% of women are buying men's watches. 20, we can, we're confident that 27% of our sales are women's watches. Therefore, it's oh, a much okay, higher so percentage much higher. because those are categorised as what we what have have been considered women's watches. Okay, so, so smaller, definitely smaller case size than less than thirty six millimeter things with floral dials. There is some models that can specifically be called ladies. Right. Some that 
are um, unisex and I think that's the direction we're, we're all moving in. Absolutely. Um, but I think it gives, like you're using the examples you used, it's, um, it's almost like a steam, sneakers and stilettos. We can wear both, right? So, of course. Um, <laughs> whereas, I, so perhaps we, we are at an advantage in that the smaller case size um, for a dress watch um, leading up to the larger case sizes or, you know, either choosing to purchase their own or borrowing um, um, a, a man's watch. Absolutely, and I think also brands are, are completely wise to this and are, and are producing collections that are essentially genderless. You know, they're not marketing particularly for, for men or for women. Um, and I think that's as it should be. You should wear the watch that speaks to you the loudest, whether it's aimed, you know, whether it's a, a woman's watch aimed at a man or a man's watch aimed at a woman. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that goes back to the original question in terms of do you think it's balanced? It's probably coming, the balance is becoming, it's becoming more balanced. Yes. Um, if that's the case where there is, we're, we're seeing a lot of brands marketing specifically unisex. Then There's no gender behind or mark, there's, there's, no, there's nothing to indicate what would traditionally be pink or blue, effectively. Yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, th- Watches that were designed for women 50 years ago looked very, very different to how they look now. You know, the, the whole sort of very pretty, very floral, often um, very decorated, often jewelled, um, or if not, just very, very tiny and in gold. You know, it's just simply not relevant anymore. We've all moved on massively. So, Well, that's why I think it was interesting to go a little bit through, through the decades because that's exactly what the Art Deco watch was about. Mm. It was small. It was specifically for a, a women's wrist. Um, it was more often than not with a sort of dual, dual set of, of sorts. Um, there was no, there wasn't anything really that it, it's what it was. It was put in a box, and for the time, there was nothing wrong with that. We're just what's what's interesting is just to see that evolution and how mm. it has developed and continues to do so. I think um, there's there's some some celebrity women who wear men's watches very very well, and I think also the sort of rise of Instagram and that kind of wrist shot of of you and your Rolex Daytona and then you've probably got you know various bangles and bracelets all kind of stacked up the whole look is extremely appealing and and um it's almost certainly driving sales in some way yeah and the versatility of it as well I suppose it's mm. um it's completely um, all-inclusive and, and accepting brands and how they market the watches do you think this really does influence the wearer and does the industry still very much divide its strategies by gender? We might have already covered that a little bit because they are moving towards more unisex, but do you find it's led by the brands themselves? Yes, and I think that the brands are um, are catching up with this whole idea. I, you know, I think sort of 10 years ago, marketing towards women and women's watches um, felt quite old fashioned. I think it's definitely becoming much more modern. Um, uh, this is probably not the place for me to start saying who I think doesn't market very well to women but I think you know women want the same things essentially as men do I think from watches they want something that they want to um, consider and treasure forever um, but also they want to fling it on and wear it every day and, and potentially forget about it while they're wearing it um, but I think also you want something that you love and that you know has the potential to become an heirloom and that you'd want to you know maybe pass on to somebody else the legacy part is very important yeah isn't definitely it? Well, it's a considered purchase and we we know we work in an incredible industry and I, it's very easy to get complacent about that but these are very considered purchases um so yeah that 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 element of it being an heirloom or passing it on, or where it's come from itself. If you were, if it was something that you, you, you know, passed from down from your mother or your father, mm. then um, um, it's always something. It's of treasure of sorts. It's not just the monetary value. Um, so I know you've recently um, uh, have a new watch. Yes. Uh, I'd love to know sort of your inspiration behind it. Where uh, talk us through that journey, please. So I had a bit of a guilty secret, and that I hadn't actually bought myself. A proper watch. Um, I owned some watches. How did you? Sorry, how did you get through the, the last thirteen years? So I was given some watches. My husband gave me a very nice um, vintage Cartier, and I had a, um, a Dior that I was given. Um, but I hadn't actually managed to take the plunge and buy myself a watch. And I, my excuse is, is that I was seeing so many all the time that I was kind of overwhelmed and it, actually it's true I didn't really know where to begin I was so 
spoilt for choice. So I don't really know what happened. I suppose I thought this is getting ridiculous. I need to actually commit to something. And I saw my, my um, Rolex Oyster Perpetual in 2020. And I saw it in real life. It was in one of those weeks where um, we were all allowed out and we were actually allowed to see each other in person. And they were launching um, their brightly colored dials, Oyster Perpetuals. And I saw my watch um, with the bright yellow dial. I love how you've got ownership over it. It's, yeah. really, it's really important. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. really do. I saw it come across the tray and I just thought, that's it. That is the watch that I want. So um, I thought about it a little bit. And then I um, started the process of trying to buy one, which I was very lucky. I was able to get my hands on one about six months later. So, yeah. And I absolutely love it. I really you. do. It's, it's one of my favourite things I've bought in the last... 10 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so I think that's really important wh where you're in the industry and you found it overwhelming. What yeah. advice would you give to any client um, looking for their first watch? Or it's probably the first watch that you're, you're most um, sort of overwhelmed by because by that stage you've already had that, put some thought into it if, you, if, you, if you're buying a second or a third piece. But um, if somebody doesn't have the background that you do, you can only imagine how overwhelming and confusing. Where do you start with giving the clients some info? Oh God, I, listen, I think it's really hard. I, all I know is that I knew that I wasn't gonna go too out there. I wasn't gonna go for something really crazy because it's just not my personal style. But I also didn't want something that was um, standard and I use that word in inverted commas I wanted something that had some element that was slightly different to the normal and I think that's why I was so attracted to this watch because um it's got this bright yellow dial which I just thought was so brilliant and kind of sunny and a happy color and um so I suppose you have to sort of think about what you want you know what it's so easy for me to say you know, what is your style? Are you going to be wearing it every day? Um, how much can you push yourselves in terms of the budget? Because that's, you know, a, a major thing to consider. These are, this is not something that is a kind of throwaway purchase. Um, and then I think just go and look at loads and loads and loads of things and go to an environment where you can compare lots of different watches side by side and then try loads and loads of them on and see how they fit on your wrist do you want something that's really big or do you want something that's you know with a case diameter that's slightly smaller than your wrist um you know do you want a bracelet do you want leather which is lovely but probably not as practical as a bracelet if you're going to wear it in the shower or if you're you know walking the dog and you know think about your lifestyle how's it going to slot in um Think about colour. Colour is such a huge thing in watches right now. And think about um, metals and, and what appeals. It's, I mean, there's so many things. It's so easy for me to say, go but, and do all these things. But you yeah. have to sort of immerse yourself, I think, as much as you possibly can in that world. And have fun with the process. Yeah, definitely. With, with all that choice, it's, um, it should be something that you, you, you enjoy. You're not committing to it there and then. Um, but I can absolutely tell you, you um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a purchase you've enjoyed, which is... Yeah, I loved. Which is why we do what we do, I suppose, because you, you've got, your background lends itself to understanding this product, and even then, it was, um, there was a lot of thought process behind it. Yeah, so. it took me years. <laughs> <laughs> and which case size? So we know you've got the... 36. Right. 36? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's perfect size for me. Mm. And I put it on, and I don't... Um, I sort of don't think about it when it's on, but when it's not on, I really miss it. But one thing I've really found actually that's brilliant about it is that when you wear a watch now, you look at your mobile phone less. And I find that when I look at my mobile phone, I get sucked into all yeah. sorts of other things on my phone. It actually has reduced my mobile phone usage and that in itself is... Well, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anything that can take us away from that sort of... Um, that rabbit just, hole. Yeah, um, of, 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 of technology. So mm. I'm not sure anyone saw that coming, though. That's, that's a really interesting point. Um, so if nothing else, we should sell more watches because it's, it's, it's better for your mindfulness. Yeah, <laughs> so basically. Exactly. Where we're going with this. Yeah. Um, but to, it's, it's a valid point. We don't need a watch. And I think that's really important because there is, uh, at the time, on our phones... Um, laptops, 
and, and it's accessible everywhere. Mm. So I think that's what something that's really respectful about. I find I still very much respect about the watch industry. People um, are still looking to buy watches, and the demand has never been greater. We did see an uptake surprisingly actually after the pandemic and um, whether it was more about considered purchases whether people had the opportunity to save more money because we didn't have holidays or there was no all your disposable income was being saved i i say that loosely it was was not a blanket statement um being respectful of 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 how difficult it was for many mm. however it we didn't see sales drop off we mm -hmm. and the luxury industry itself not just watches i mean it covered it covered all area i think there was just people thinking a little bit more about actually where they were going to put their hard-earned cash yeah definitely um and on when it's a product that we don't need um it is surplus requirement it's incredible what these brands are doing and how they're continuing to evolve and stay relevant as well yeah. which probably goes to the point of the brightly colored dials the year that they launched the oyster perpetuals um there was some massive pops in color that year and we've i think we've started seeing that as a trend you've you definitely for you you have as well definitely i think um i mean color's always been there in watches but it's often been um kind of blue red maybe yellow actually um it's now such a huge huge trend it's um it's across all um, all sectors of watches. I think, um, and you could actually kind of break it down into various areas. I think bicolor metal is a massive thing at the moment. I remember about ten years ago, it just looked terribly old-fashioned, and nobody really wore one. And um, it was the kind of afterthought, the kind of excuse at the, at the corner of the show cabinet. Now I just think they look brilliant. They look less. Um, over the top than a than a full on gold watch and um, nothing wrong with an over the top watch. I'm sorry, I'm a big fan. Of course, there's nothing wrong no. with an with an all gold watch, but it's it's just taking it down a notch, mm. and I think it's taking it up slightly from just plain steel. So I think it's that sort of perfect middle ground. Um, and now everyone, literally everyone, is doing them: Cartier, Tag, Rolex, Breitling, Tudor, Omega. It's you know they're everywhere, and they're becoming you know kind of front and centre. While as before, they were very much in the background. In the last year, our um, sales of steel and yellow, in particular, you've referenced that have increased by over sixty um, percent. Yeah, there you are. Um, um, but um, and fifty percent in steel and rose. Um, steel and white as well, which is sort of often the bezel type, particularly for, for Rolex. But um, we are seeing the um, the average selling price increase based on the brands moving moving their way up. But it is interesting, I suppose, it, that, that point of, it used to be an afterthought, I think you said, in, in the corner. Um, they seemed quite gaudy, perhaps, or something that your grandmother yes. might have worn from, not necessarily with a prestige brand, but I always remember her having really small gold tone watches i'm pretty sure they they, they weren't but um or, or steel and, and gold of the time um but they they were aged weren't they yeah. as a concept yes there was something um, very old-fashioned about them um i don't even know which era they originated from but now they look actually look really of the moment it's exactly what if i could choose another watch i'd probably go for a bicolor actually i think they look really nice and i think it's similar to jewelry as well people are mixing white and, and yellow gold it was always that you were either yellow gold or you were white gold and now you know mixed metals is definitely a huge trend good that's uh, that's actually another point isn't it in that where we we have a lot of um options for jewelry um and it it was i not too i don't know too much about that area but um your wedding and engagement ring yes. needed to match the watch so yes. if you had a, a any mixed metal or gold watch and your your um wedding ring was of a white metal that would potentially be a clash and a bit of a faux yes, pas complete faux pas <laughs> now look at me i've got a white gold engagement ring and a yellow gold wedding ring so there you are if i can do it anyone can <laughs> trend we have a trendsetter in our midst and um but no it's, it's it's important because like it's not they 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 do come round frequently but it gives more legitimacy to everyone having their own um, voice as well yeah again to your point on yeah. you wanting a watch that had um was was interesting but not too classic i think you didn't want anything that was too classic but you equally didn't want something that was completely out there yes. way out there and, yes. and, and clashed. It's, it's the kind of perfect middle ground in my eyes between you know full gold or just steel i just think they're brilliant 
the dial color is a is an interesting um, point for us. We the brand largely it's been led by what the brands launch. So. Um, as you correctly referenced, black dials, blue dials, green then became very popular. Yes, and still is. Yeah, very much, and that's we, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of that, and I expect to see a lot more as we go through the fair uh, when we go to the fairs next week. Um, I think pastels as well. I think there's been a lot of um, very very bright watches with these kind of primary colours, but I think the slightly sort of more muted pastel colours. I think Breitling are doing some really lovely ones. Um, Omega have just launched some beautiful ones. I know they've had a bit of stick for it, but um, they've done something called a saffron colour, which is a kind of mustardy off yellow, a heather, which is a kind of slightly um, dusky purple, um, some kind of sage green colours. I think they're all really nice. Yeah, we saw them last week um, as they were launched. Um, it gives more option to the clients. They're mm. definitely not for everybody's taste. Um, but uh, I think this is an area of that diversity where it's not just crossing one gender or another, particularly in the 38 millimeters on the, because you're talking about the constellation, uh, sorry, on the Aquaterras, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, they were introducing something and something that wasn't necessarily in their collection. They do the pale pinks quite well and the mother of pearl on, and the silver and, 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 and white. Um, but yeah, the, we, they, they've, they've stayed away from bold this season. Well. Actually, saying that they they the Aventurine dials are much brighter, but that was all on higher price point products. So, um, I think the brands that haven't previously done so, they are accepting and including the, the sort of colorways and mm -hmm. trying not to be something someone else has done. Because when you've got a big brand that, as we discussed, where the Oyster Perpetuals were launched two years ago, um, they were a statement, and also it was very brave of Rolex to do it because it wasn't. Their, it wasn't it wasn't their language, it mm. wasn't their DNA. Mm. But when we were speaking to them, and you're right, it was one of the few opportunities we had to see watches between between the lockdowns. Um, and we were talking to them and they were like, it's just really nice after everything everyone's gone through, just to see some colour, it's fun. Yeah. And when you talk about your watch, you you your face lights up. <laughs> it's it's it, it has that it has that effect. So um, I think the, the where the brands are being bold and brave. Um, congratulations to them. Breitling do that very well. Breitling do it so well and they've done it so well with their um, Super Ocean Pastel Paradise and they've done um, what I would describe as colour blocking. So it's not only the dial, it's the bezel and the strap, mm -hmm. all in the same colour. Yeah, that's on the Super Super Ocean and the, the Super Ocean Heritage. Um, their pastels, they do well on the, chrono, on, the, on the chrono mats. And they're one of the brands actually that we have seen the biggest growth in the ladies segment yeah. where they have made ladies watches they've marketed them as ladies watches mm. and what they haven't done is just shrunk the gents watch into a ladies case size and yeah. added some diamonds yeah they've really thought about what women want to wear and that the um the growth um in brightling on ladies watches is for us in the uk is um nearly 200 percent yeah and I, it's, I'm based, not it's based on, on i'm on really that not launch surprised alone. Mm. yeah um, I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan. Actually, so a couple of the watches, interestingly, you've noted on at the end. We'll do a, a wish list, and um, what mine, one of mine is a is a is a Breitling. If we were to have sort of the, the collections that we want, so um, case sizes in terms of trends, there is no trend. It's women wearing what they want. I think it's women wearing what they want. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't even say whether there was a specific trend for larger or smaller. I think anything goes really. But um, the mixed metal and mixed the metal, and then this options. this whole colour. Um, I think rainbow is really big as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's been some really nice rainbow bezels. There's been some kind of crazy Hublot rainbow models. Um, uh, Chanel have done a brilliant um, uh, whole their the whole range last year was kind of injected with neon colour, okay. which was just amazing. Um, and yeah, and there's you know there's something very kind of happy and uplifting and kind of fun about it. It doesn't take itself too seriously. No, I agree. They're not accessible for everybody though. The Hublot pieces, um, and we're, there's another LVMH brand that's about to launch a beautiful rainbow um, bezel. Um, 
there's a we've named the brand a couple of times so i won't do it again where where this all came from um it's funny i said they weren't brave earlier but they're incredibly brave because of what um if you sort of look back at those high-end pieces and um what what they can do um do you the, the, that's never your first watch though no that's never your first watch but it's still definitely something that i've seen um brands dipping their toe in mm -hmm. So I don't think it can be ignored as an aesthetic. And I, I wonder if it's come from jewellery, maybe, that the whole rainbow trend in jewellery has been massive. Has it? Really, really big. And I think um, and I think also the brands are just being braver, looking at different stones. You know, it's not necessarily all about diamonds. Yep. They're looking at coloured sapphires. And you can get, you know, a lot of stone for your money with a sapphire um, compared to a compared to a diamond. So I think it's um, it's very welcome. And yes, of course, it won't be your first watch. Well, it doesn't have to be. I mean, thankfully, we, we, we don't want people just to buy one watch and one watch only, which means you need to buy... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it, 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 it's, it's not cheating in your first watch as well, by the way, if you buy, if you, if you buy a second. But um, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to see that there is that element of not brands not taking everything so seriously. Yeah. In an industry that is fiercely um, heritage, that they're very proud of their heritage, um, and loyal to their legacy. So when you kind of see um, some of these pieces come through, um, it really does in, enhance, I suppose. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's always exciting for us because in years, what we do tend to see is a mass of blue, black, silver, gray, pink dials over and over again in different, potentially in different um, iterations. So you see these pops of color, it really, it really stands out. Yeah. And they have to stand out against each other, these brands independently. Um, because otherwise the big brands are just going to continue to dominate and get bigger. Yeah. So I think it's important that the others, that, that the, all of the brands are exploring, experimenting, but within their own, within their own design codes. Yeah, but as you say, Breitling's up by 200%. So if, the ladies, yeah. The ladies, if yeah. that's an experiment, it's a very successful one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite. That's a, that's a standout for us. Well, I think that was the um, ladies' chronomat that because as an entire mm -hmm. collection, it was launched last year. So um, it's it was uh, um, really really interesting, and gents are up as well. It's not, and again we go back to that. We don't know if women are buying gents models or what is classed as gents models. So it potentially could be more than that. Yeah. But if you're gonna if you're gonna put it in a box, um, they've done very well. Mm. They've done very well. Um, so I was wondering um, if you could have a wish list, oh, so gosh. to speak. This is like my dream assignment. Um, how many am I allowed? Let's start with five. And then <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I've tried to be, um, I've tried to do this in a rational way, but it's, it's hard, really hard for me. So. <laughs> oh no, 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 we don't want rational. We want, we want emotive, we want Okay, so then, the, then I've, gone, emo I've gone emotive slash rational. So my first choice, I've gone for um, a reverso. Lovely. So I wanted, this is, this is my sort of dream top five. Mm -hmm. um, so I want something that um, has the Art Deco codes that you've been talking about. I want something linear and graphic and small and beautifully conceived. And I want it to have a story that relates to the Art Deco period. And of course this does. It's all to do with the flippable dial mm -hmm. that was worn by the, um, the British officers playing polo, polo yeah. in India. And I love that whole um, story. And um, I just love the, the look of the watch. And I'd go for something quite simple. I think um, a white dial, a diamond set bezel and a navy blue strap. <laughs> Lovely, timeless, classic, and I like the heritage behind that as well. Yeah. I mean, actually, if I may interrupt, whilst we're going to talk about your top five um, story, how important do you think that is? The story of that watch uh, in watchmaking for for clients, because it's something that's really um, appealed to you um, in terms of your. I, I think it's I I think it's hugely important because these are historic brands. Yes. So whether it's the history of a particular collection or the brand itself, do you think that is where women in particular, or any client actually, it doesn't have to be, if that story it will um, have influence over the watch that is bought? I think specifically with this watch, most definitely. I think it's got such a strong heritage. And I think um, it can be traced back to a particular moment in time. And that watch encapsula encapsulates that moment in time in its function and in its form. So I think um, if 
you know, it's an important part of buying that watch, I would imagine. I love it because I'm an editor, so I'm always seeking out stories. Story. Right. So that's why it particularly appeals to me. But I would imagine it would appeal to anyone if they knew that was the story. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very romantic, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, I interrupted you. We have your first uh, um, wish listen. Um, we're, we're, there's a goodie bag being put together for <laughs> yeah, you yeah. with all of these. Great. <laughs> So that's my that's my first one. My second one, I thought I should probably go for something a bit more cocktail. So I went for a Bulgari Serpenti Sedutori. And the reason I went for that is because, I mean, I love Bulgari and I love all the Serpenti range, but I wanted, um, I didn't want the, the Turbogas bracelet. I wanted this relatively new bracelet that they've done where the um, goldsmithing of the links look like snake scales and I think it's one of the most brilliant pieces of bracelet manufacture out there actually I think Piaget are very good as well but to me this is just very very appealing and um I'd have it with a green dial on steel and gold okay by color um and um yeah I love it I love that um that color combination of the bicolor metal and the green dial the other one that I really like is um the all gold one on a malachite dial okay. again the green then so the it's green. something that it draws it, it, that works really well you said the bicolor I'm assuming means steel and yellow in particular yes yeah it works very well in those colorways doesn't yeah. it yeah and again goes back to the color color elements that we were talking about yeah um green on gold we're seeing um a lot of when you when we can get hold of it yeah but green is, is is becoming quite strong i love a natural dial anyway so the malachite um yeah it's beautiful yeah uh, and it's a piece unique as well because there's a natural stone it'd be the same with a meteorite um or um um well uh, any of the natural stones i suppose brands don't focus on that at all which is is rightly so but it's always that quite nice to know that no one's ever going to have the same watch as you just based on that element of yeah. the, um, the dial um so potentially two bulgaris there just so, so you can... <laughs> yeah i sneaked in another one um and also i think obviously the storytelling of that you know to to own a piece of bulgari was it would be incredibly special of course and you know the serpenti and all its associations with elizabeth taylor and all the storytelling around that i think is um for me, fascinating. So that would be my second pick. Um, shall I go on? Please do. My third, I thought I should go a bit more minimalist now. Okay. So I went for a, a Piaget Altiplano. Lovely. And I've gone really um, pared back. I've gone for proper minimalism. So I'd go diamond free. Mm -hmm. I'd keep it very pure. Um, in rose gold on a brown strap. So a classic dress watch. A classic dress yeah, watch. Yeah, that would look wonderful with a suit, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, I just thought that was, and of course all the amazing mechanics of it being, you know, incredibly thin, I just thought that would be um, a lovely addition. With the, with the P900, the, the ultra-thin movement? Yes. Right, okay. So. so there is a thing on women being interested in the movements as well then. Yes. So I appreciate it's not the first watch or something, but it does draw you in I suppose and I, that's one of the many reasons why I love the job that I have it's um, you kind of go down these rabbit holes you know start learning about something and then I'm picking at it and, and, and following it mm. um, okay definitely then <laughs> I thought I should have something sporty so I went for a Chanel J12 Electro okay um, and are they I, limited? Remind me. Was I don't it? think they are. I don't think they're limited. Um, the one that I like is the black one, the black enamel. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it's got the rainbow indices and the rainbow markers on the bezel. And I just think this whole collection, I, I touched on it earlier. Um, so last year, their um, watch director took one single idea and he applied that idea to the entire range of Chanel's watches. And his idea was um, about electro pop music. And he um, has basically used neon bright color across the entire range. And it works particularly well on the J12, I think. You can also get it in white, but I, I quite like it in the black. So that would be my, my sporty choice. Great, okay. And then my fifth one, I'm afraid I've gone a bit rogue. Um, and I've chosen um, a Cadenas by Van Cleef & Arpel. Ooh. <laughs> I, I'm not too familiar with that, actually. So it's... Um, I know it's, the brand, but I don't know the, the yes, model itself. So it's, um, it is based on a padlock 
Okay. And, and, bottle, yeah. and it's um, you can get it in gold or you can get it in steel. They remade them a couple of years ago, but I don't think you could buy them anymore. I would have to go vintage. And they're very um, utilitarian. They were made in, um, first made in 1935. So that they're part of the Art Deco movement, but in a very, um, almost like a kind of machined way. And I love the idea that it's based on something very functional but it's morphed into something very luxury. And the dial is, is tiny and on, a, on an angle. So it's in a way a bit like a secret watch. It, it looks like a bracelet when it's on, mm -hmm. but it's properly chunky. Um, and I think it was made originally um, for the Duchess of Windsor. Right. So, um, and they're almost impossible to get hold of, which makes me want one even more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll speak to our vintage team yes. for you and see what we can do. So there's, 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 a, there's a, quite an array there. Um, you've got your Ajeja uh, Le Coultre Reverso, which is quite a classic watch. Um, elegant, timeless, functional, great story to it. Um, I'm a big fan of the brand as well, but I think that they're one of one of those. I, I, we haven't actually spoken too much about icons, which is great because it's very easy to do so. But mm. I think it is iconic yeah. in every sense of the word. Um, the Bulgari, um, so it covers your dress, um, cocktail, more, more cocktail dress. Yeah. So perfect for, for those evenings out for events, which I'm sure you um, um, you have um, many to, to to deal with. And and people are probably always so interested in what you're wearing, yeah. right? jewelry and watch wise, based on that. Yes, definitely. I, um... Definitely, I, I get people um, asking me where things are from. Yeah, um, and for a classic dress watch, um, we're on a strap, you've gone for the Piaget Altiplano, absolutely beautiful, um, just seamless and timeless. Yeah. Um, J12 is yours, is slightly more um, just out there, a bit slightly more out edgy. There, a bit more fun. Um, obviously, it's, it's a major purchase. But I like the mix of the very um, sporty shape, sporty form mixed in with that colour, I think is a really good combo. Yeah, absolutely. It's that kind of sports luxe, which is a huge category. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we yes, yes, we've, we talk about that quite a lot in our categories in our, in our, with our clients. Um, it's becoming much more accessible, known as the wrong word, it's uh, acceptable to be wearing sports luxe with anything. Of course, yeah. And, and your um, fifth piece of Van Cleef and Arpel, so a vintage piece for that. Oh, I love the variety there. Um, and what's and I suppose this talks to the fact that there are so many options because my top five, we've got, we've not got any crossover in terms of even brands, which is just wonderful that ah. we can both be in a similar, very different but similar industry. Yes. And yet we haven't even, we haven't, um, uh, my first watch was a Breitling, so I'm quite loyal to that. Um, and I would go with the Super Ocean Automatic 36. And I'd like it in orange oh, because sporty, okay. fun, yeah. just something completely different. I love the rubber strap on it. Uh, again, what like you said on the bezel, uh, sort of all the, co the, it's the, co the continuity of the block colour. Um, just feels like it's really fun and fresh. Um, Cartier are from our top selling models across, um, across ours. I was taking a look to see which models just are our ladies best sellers really as we're class if we're classing ladies watches and i think i think it's remiss of me not to consider a cartier because um there's a reason why they're best sellers they of do course. it well um they're they're loyal to the brand um they they deliver the continuity uh, and again sort of another another cartier so i would go with a, a tank francais lovely um what else what else what um, colorway would you have in that I just go with a classic silver dial. Mm -hmm. um, my steel and yellow option, which is funny when we were talking about the, the, the bimetals, um, I would go with a Datejust Rolex 31mm on a Jubilee bracelet. Mm. I think it's timeless, elegant. You can wear it from day to night. I can wear it for work. I can wear it swimming. I can wear it in the gym. Yeah. It's, it's not utilitarian, but it absolutely is. Yeah. You can wear it everywhere. Yeah. And I, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're by the swimming pool or if I'm in a business meeting, it's, um, it's got both form and function. And you'd go for that size, 31? Um, I actually wear larger case sizes, generally. Um, 
if we're looking at ladies' watches, then yes, mm. I would choose because I've got a few friends that wear them and I just I actually just think they're really elegant. Yeah. Um, I think wearing it now would... I mean, it's my, my top five picks, so I can wear what I want, right? Mm. But um, I think it would feel quite small, but... Um, I, I like the look of it on other people. I think I just I think it does exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and there's no there's never an occasion where it won't be right. Um, so we've done Cartier, Breitling, Rolex. Um, I'm going to go back to where it will be. Anne, I'd love the Queen of Naples. Oh. I always have. I think they're beautiful. I think they're as a story as well. Um, and the legacy behind it, the brand have an entire collection named after it. And there aren't that many collections that are for women only. Um, Vacheron do it with, um, uh, Vacheron last latest launch, they, they, they launched a ladies only collection. Um, there are a few, but, but not many that yeah. are specific for. Yeah. Um, when uh, Jaeger's Rendezvous came out, originally that was only for women. Yeah. The, they've got that case size now, which crosses over. And they've not not everything's done with diamonds, but um, that wasn't that was originally for for women only as well. Um, and then Patek Nautilus seventy one eighteen, um, because again, as as women's watch uh, watch wearing wrist watch wearing should we say started with um, Breguet and Patek, then I'm going to be loyal to the story. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so, have you got any other any other topics that you'd like to cover with us? I just I just wondered what your if you had any feedback or, or, or thoughts or. I mean, um, I just feel that as a kind of sector, it's just growing and growing, and as a um, a sector that um, is feels to me like it's becoming exciting and more vibrant and more accessible. I mean, there are various people that I even follow on Instagram who um, are specifically women's watch bloggers. And some of them I know are actually dealers now. They sell watches specifically to women. And I just find the whole idea that women are much more engaged um, and much braver with their choices um, exciting and, and interesting. And long may it last. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Um, I think we've covered quite a lot of ground. It was a bit of a preamble to start with, with the, with the history, but I think the context of where it is, because because it's a industry of heritage, mm. I really wanted to sort of add that in. Um, jewelry is slightly different, I think. You can just launch in in terms of here, now, what's going on, what's what, where the pulse is. Um, so we've kind of talked through the ages a little bit. Um, we've discovered um, and discussed trends, and the main thing from, from your perspective is dull colours whether brands are going big and bold or just slightly softer and gentle and pastels um case sizes anything goes is what we're saying there is no trend for women in case sizes but we do know that more women are buying watches um which means means um it's exciting and it is um a very big growth area so as you say long may it continue Mm -hmm. jess thanks again for joining us today thank you Thank you for listening to the Calibre podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it. Please do subscribe and listen to other episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.